श्रीला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय घोर भक्तवृंद की जय दूर प्रमाण हरिभो गुड मॉर्निंग टू ऑल ऑफ यू वेलकम एंड वी आर कंटिन्यूइंग विथ आवर सीरीज इन वैष्णव एथिकेट रूल्स एंड लव इन द लाइफ ऑफ अ साधक सो थैंक यू वेरी मच फॉर योर प्रेसेंस टुडे एंड टुडे इज मीटिंग नंबर 17 एंड वी विल कंटिन्यू स्पीकिंग अबाउट प्रचार व्हाट समटाइम्स मे बी ट्रांसलेटेड एज प्रीचिंग बट एज वी हैव बीन सीइंग इट मींस much more than what we may understand in connection to that term so today we will finish about finish this section in particular regarding prachar but as usual we will make some brief summary of what we were discussing in our previous meeting on thursday first meeting about prachar where as usual we were sharing some conceptual orientation to the very idea of prachar as pra achar as we mentioned achar means behavior conduct and pra means a special type of so pra achar that we translate sometimes as preaching actually means a very special type of behavior that preaches by itself if you will when you behave very nicely that will be the most powerful uh, discourse the most uh yes deep message that will really reach home if you will in other hearts so it's not only the idea of preaching as we may have it in the context of just proselytizing evangelizing conversion and preaching and dissemination to others new people coming to our uh, ranks if you will but has to do it. mainly <clears throat> it all begins with a transformation in our heart and that transformation will expanding to another heart in other hearts and some information may be in the context of that transformation mm-hmm. but of course in this way prachar the very word prachar includes the word achar so the very concept of preaching includes the idea of practice so practice and preaching should be are quite intertwined should nourish each other mm-hmm. i should practice in a way that my own insights will overflow mm-hmm. the gift that i receive is overflowing me and that will Prince Sprinkle others that will be my preaching and I will be engaged in that preaching with such a background in such a way that I will in turn nourish my practice that is the ideal standard one will be nourishing the other both will act as if you will cause an effect mutually of course we also spoke about whenever we are facing some other person sharing the message sharing our testimony sharing siddhanta it should be done with utmost humility not in the context that i will teach you about what to do if you <laughs> i'm i'm senior than you so here listen to me but i will try to extend the grace that touched knocked on my door and totally underserving and i will try to extend that to your heart so eventually you may embrace it and you will be transformed to a point that you will give me your sangha you will bless me with your association so in this idea we are looking for sangha even when we are preaching <laughs> so preaching should be done prachar should be engaged in with humility with compassion as we mentioned not so much trying to convert the whole world 
to go the Avedanta, so everyone is doing the same thing you are doing, and in that way they will be confirming your own faith, because you need everyone else to be doing that in order for you to be sure what you are doing. That's not the idea. But universal compassion, melting hearts, on some degree or another, should be there. Mm. And again, preaching, as we mentioned, preaching prachar is another way of saying actually harikata, it's another way actually of saying kirtan, mm, to speak about hari, mm, to share words about our istadev, about the object of our affection, hari, guru, vaishnav. So, and shravan, of course, you are speaking, some other is hearing, you yourself are hearing what you are saying, so you are increasing your commitment <laughs> with the message in order to walk the talk. So, in other words, prachar is one of the main angas of bhakti. Shravan, kirtan, and of course, again, very crucial the role of the audience there. It's not only I'm here speaking and you, and you listen to me, but actually if the person is really listening, that person will be contributing with at least 50% of the whole equation, if you will, or more even. If they are sincere, in the, if they present relevant questions, that will kindle somehow or other the whole discourse to new, new hikes and levels. Mm. So this pracharis seva, this pracharis our attempt to please the object of our affection, prachari should not be done in the context of fostering pratishta, mm, a, a quest for position, fame, followers, and so on. Mm. And, and for that, of course, it's important that we, if we are about to preach, if we are about to share the message, we should be honest and sincere and introspective with ourselves and realize how much capacity do I have to speak about what I'm practicing what I'm speaking how how uh, which yeah which capacity do I have to speak about certain topics in particular that may be way above my head how am I to deal with this byproducts of prachar in the form of admiration praise and so on so everything should be done according to personal capacity. So that requires constant uh, inner examination. So a real preacher will be a real introspective, contemplative personality, if you will. And of course, we have to know the Siddhanta in order to speak about that. We have to know uh, the role and reach on, of what we may call teaching techniques, outreach techniques, preaching strategies, sometimes call us that, which uh, do not necessarily mean that, for example, one of the examples we gave is the broader the message, as, as diluted as I can make my presentation, the more compassionate I'm being, because I can reach more and more people. Not necessarily that's the case. Compassion will take different forms, and one form is also to present the Siddhanta Cities and to nourish the path of people who is really committed for life in this marga, in this path. Uh, and of course, if you become on the other side more and more esoteric, that may not be also the most compassionate thing in, in a given case. So it all depends on Desha, Kala, Patra, time place, time, place, circumstance. Considering the audience, considering the level of the adhikar, the eligibility of the audience, so adjusting what we are presenting, certain details, delivering the principles, and sharing education. Prachar basically is education. We have to be educated in our and educate others properly. And we should be educated in our education, in the context of educating others. We ourselves should be ladies and gentlemen, if you will. There's no necessity of demonizing 
the, the anti-party, if you will, demonizing the Purva Pakshing, the opposing party. But in case we need to expose certain philosophies which do not align with ours, I mean, we should be able to do so in a respectful way, appreciative way, not necessarily to send everyone else to hell or something like that. And again, preaching also means deep commitment with the message and our own practice, but also with the ones who accept to hear from us, who are sharing, gifting us with their valuable time and energy, like all of you are doing now with me. No, I, I take that as a real uh, gift from you to me. You are engaging me in this seva, so that's a commitment for me. Whatever I'm saying, hopefully you may give me you may give me the blessings to to be able to practice that and to be willing to assist you. And of course, not because I'm senior to anyone, but to be assisted by you as well in in our respective paths regarding what we are speaking here. So, so a brief summary of what we were sharing last week and today we will continue with if you will more practical tips regarding Vaishnava etiquette in the context of of prachar our main meeting our first meeting in this connection was as you can see more uh, sambanda like if you will so now let's jump into the abhideya field into the practical application of some of these uh, con concepts and how they play out in our modern times even we will share some modern contemporary sensibilities concerning prachar and so on. Hmm? Uh, so again, to begin with, something I would like to emphasize, to begin with in connection to what we spoke in our previous meeting and we will be continuing today, I think it's very important, never enough important, to re-emphasize hmm, that sharing Harikata, the sharing of Harikata represents a very sacred moment. Hmm? It's not an ordinary meeting. It's not just, ah, I will... It may externally seem so, and we may externally transform that into that in our eyes. I just click on Zoom, and I'm there in the talk, and that's all. And we lose the, the mystic side of it, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we should be really careful about not losing sight of the extraordinary nature of the possibility of invoking Harikata and be part of that. Mm -hmm. It's a very sacred moment where Hari himself is invoked in the form of Harikata. He, has, he himself said many times, Nahamtishtami, Baikunti, and so on. Many verses there. He said, when one or two of my devotees get together speaking about me, chanting about me, I'm there. So this is a very powerful moment. So Saharikata Prachar, in other words, represents a very sacred moment where both speaker and audience will try to be actually instrumental. We are not the main characters, nor you, nor me. We are but instruments trying to allow the will of Bhagavan hmm, to affect us in the context of bhakti, of course, a particular type of impact and influence. Hmm. And that's why every Harikata, hmm, and also in the cases of writing a book, generally that was the Gaudiya standard, generally starts with something called Mangala Charan. So I would like to share some words about this in the context of Prachar, because I consider it very important. Mangalacharan, which we may define as here, as the, I will define it at least as, that, as the most important part of Harikata. The most crucial moment, even though it may last for some few minutes, that will determine the, the course, the remaining course of the whole session, if you will. 
It will determine how much we will be actually witnesses and not the main characters, again, in this story. So, Mangala Acharan, let's define the term. We are speaking about Pra-achar. Remember, the word achar is there. So, here again, Mangala Achar. Acharan. So, Acharana means action, to do something. And Mangala has to do with auspiciousness. So, Mangala Acharan, if we divide the word in two, even though it's presented as one, has to do with invoking auspiciousness, blessings, Mangala, before doing Acharan, something, something important generally. So Mangala Acharan will be there again. The basic idea here is that in this particular context that we are sharing now, speaking Harikata, Prachar, the idea in connection to the Mangala Acharan is we are not independent. The speaker is not independent. The audience is not independent of Bhakti's grace. Therefore, we need the blessings of Hari, Guru, Vaishnavas, to be proper, again, puppets, if you will, proper channels. Since the success of the Kata is that, the success will be they are given the Hari Kata. They are the ones who are inspiring something special in, into our hearts. So, the idea of Mangala Chana has to do with that, invoking blessings, as we will see in, in a few minutes, in a particular way, in a particular order, to certain particular personalities. But let me share some words, very nice words, written by Satyanarayandas Bhavaji in his commentary on the Mangala Charan of Tattva Sandarbha, which I really like a lot. So, in the, in the context of what's a Mangala Charan, so I will read them for you, if you allow me. Uh, in this context, of course, this Mangala Charan of the Tattva Sandarbha is a Mangala Charan that is written by Srila Jiva Goswami before himself starting his book. So again, a Mangala Charan can be there before writing a book or before giving Harikata, before starting some special action that requires special mercy. Strictly speaking, at one point everything will be special and require special mercy, but here are very crucial moments when we really want to be channels. So there are, these are two brief paragraphs. It says like this. Try to follow the the English, please. Without immediate apperception of the truth, metaphysical speculation, however thorough and penetrating, must remain within the sphere of intellectual thought construction. That's called kalpana, like imagination. It is in recognition of this fact that enlightened sages and authors of the past realized the need to first attune their awareness to the conscious source before initiating the writing process, or in this case, Harikata. In this way, the truth that was intended to be disclosed will shine through their psyche of its own accord, with no personal sense of doership or egoic self-appropriation on the part of the author. The composition of a Mangala Charan or auspicious invocations at the beginning of philosophical works is a method by which the author's consciousness is linked with his, his or her worshipful deity and the line of masters. In the deeper sense, it is thus self-surrender or dying to the separate self-sense 
which allows for the self-revelation and pervasion of the light of the Absolute. In this way, Mangala Acharan is to be understood not as mere eulogy but as a conscious process by which illumination or higher cognitive mode of knowing becomes available to the writer. Mangala Charan is thus a key to transpersonal authorship. So, it's a real nice way of describing what Mangala Charan is about, basically. In other words, understanding without the intervention of the Swarup Shakti, whatever I may think about and speak on that basis will remain in the realm of mental speculation or imagination, kalpana, and that's why great sages, grand personalities have, uh, before starting writing a book, before invoking Harikata, which is a form of writing, if you will, hmm, uh, has to do with, they invoked this crucial hmm, <clears throat> auspiciousness invocation, hmm, trying to do away with the sense of personal doership, a separate sense of authorship. Basically trying to be channeled, surrender our ego, and understand here I am about to become a mere, mere quote-unquote, instrument. So that my deity may inspire my heart in the process of trying to uh, glorify his, him, her. So as I, I like the, the last, especially the last conception. Mangala Charana is thus a key to transpersonal authorship. That means... It seems that I'm giving the Hakata, it seems that I'm writing the book. But actually someone else is writing and actually I am the one who ends up being witnessing that. <clears throat> this was my, my experience with the book I'm writing now. We are in the process of editing now it. And I, I wrote that in one part of the I think in the acknowledgement section. That generally you write a book for others to read it. But in this case, I felt someone else wrote the book and I was reading it. <laughs> so similarly, this is the idea in Harikata. It seems you are speaking and some other is hearing, but at one point you will realize someone else is speaking here and I'm hearing. To me, it happens a lot during Harikata. I, ser I say sometimes certain things, I, and I realize, wow, that was interesting. That concept, that was really good. But immediately I realized it was not mine. It was not me. I'm not the owner of that. I cannot reclaim rights hmm, for my authorship. So it's transpersonal authorship. It's not me. Hmm. So that's a very important point this way. This Mangala turn has a lot to do with Prachar. Again, it's a crucial moment when both uh, speaker, again, and audience, it's not that only the speakers, the speaker may be leading the Mangala Charan, invoking certain particular mantras, but ideally, the audience should follow. If if they do not know the particular pranam mantras that they are being invoked, at least they will they should try to enter into that state of attuning, aligning themselves with what's happening at that particular moment, with that particular prayer and self-surrendering, in order to be really uh, pervaded by a higher higher cognitive mode of knowing. So, in Mangala Charan, both speaker and audience will join together. It's a work, it's a teamwork, if you will. They will join together in prayer to be instruments of Bhakti's will. Praying not to have, again, an independent sense of ex existence during the Kata. It's a very delicate moment. It's not just I see it, I hear, I see it, I speak, 
and maybe I become distracted with this and that. I mean, all those things will spoil the real experience of what's Harikata. So ideally, both speaker and hearer should see it in order to, I want. I don't want to have any de- independent sense of spoke, spoker, speaker, sorry, <laughs> nor an independent sense of being a hearer. But actually, I want to be fully instrumental here. So hopefully... This doesn't all only happens during the kata, but during our whole day and lives. But we have to begin somewhere as usual. So if we are not able to really condense and concentrate our focus in those specific sacred moments in our day, like prachar in this case, it's possible that all along the rest of the day, we won't be able to sustain that experience as well. So it's important, again, to, to pay close attention to these crucial minutes. So, regarding the Mangala Charan in itself, of course, there is no fixed rule. There is no one single way of invoking Mangala Charan before Prachar. There are different pranam mantras that may be invoked. If you have heard different sadhus, you will see that practically none of them follow one single same structure. Uh, Or at least they follow certain structure, but not the same content is there, if you will. A general structure <clears throat> that I personally am trying to follow, as my Guru Maharaj tries to follow, and as generally the Vaishnavs try to follow, there is some initial glorification to Sri Guru. And there are so many pranam mantras to him, so you may have realized which are the ones. In my case, I'm <clears throat> reciting Om Ajnanati Mirandasya, Nam Shristam from Raghunadas. Then we can glorify the Vaishnavs. Then there may be a glorification of Sriman Mahaprabhu. From Guru Vaishnav we go to Gaur Lila. Some glorifications to Gaur Nitai. Gaur Gadadhar may be there also. All the, some of these things will also depend on each one's affinity eventually. And from there we go to Krishna Lila. We, we will glorify Sri Krishna, Sri Radha or Sri Radha Krishna together. There are different pranam mantras for them. And of course there are many other mantras personality we can glorify in the context of that if you are speaking Bhagavatam there are certain pranam mantras in glorification of the Bhagavatam of Sukadev Goswami <clears throat> generally sometimes also there is some closing with the glorification to Tulasi Devi or Brinda Devi hmm? Dif- different pranam mantras for them so again this is a very encapsulated notion of that hmm? if one would like to, to learn some particular way of conducting that, that's the general structure and there are different mantras at the time one will learn and one may feel some affinity with the blessings of the Vaishnava one may include them in, into one's pranam mantra it's not just any mantra but certain mantras that are in the context of offering ourselves to those per- personalities <clears throat> so it can be brief Mangalacharan can last for a few <coughs> minutes or less than that or it can be long I remember always Srila uh, Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj, there is one nice lecture he gave, I mean many of those, but one I remember I think was in, on his Vyasa Puja, his 100th Vyasa Puja, he lived for 102 years, so he was giving Harikata to, his, to the very last moment, so he was 100 years old and he was giving Harikata, the lecture is, is available online, that's a very nice one, along with the whole celebration around him that day. And he began the, the lecture asking forgiveness to the audience, saying, I'm so, I'm so old, my memory is failing, I cannot remember all the different verses that you, I used to know and quote in the proper places and so on, with the classical topmost humility 
he he used to exhibit. He was a personification of. So he, he was begging forgiveness for his bad, bad memory, quote-unquote, and he then started Mangala Charan almost like for half an hour, <laughs> invoking one mantra after the other. And so I would think, well, if, if that is bad memory, what does <laughs> what will be his good memory? No? So, but, but that was his standard, and of course he was really into that. If you really see him invoking those mantras, you really feel inspired and understand what's Mangala Charan about. So gradually we should enter into that mood. And again, this is the beginning point of prachar, if you will. If you are about to give a lecture, to give harikata, ideally that should begin with Mangala Charan. So I want to share some words about this before going to more uh, uh, to more practical tips, if you will. Uh, so what else? <coughs> Mangala Charan Kijai. Of course, and in that context also, let me say, the speaker of Harikata will be considered again as a uh, as a representative of Bhagavan. In that sense that the person is trying to surrender his, her ego and just be a channel and will be specially venerated because he or she will represent, ideally, that's idea, an, ag an agent, an ag the agency of the divine. And that's why he will be offered a seat special seat, biasas and garlands and so on. So now we'll share some practical tips regarding these items, if you will. For example, the asana. Generally, I've seen sometimes the devotee will give harikata and some devotee will offer a special seat <laughs> and the devotee giving harikata will deny, no, 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 I don't want that special seat for me. <laughs> so it sounded like it's level of humility but actually the real humility, is, higher humility, is, is not for you. No, the seat is not for you. The seat is for Harikata. The seat is for Sri Guru, for Parampara, who are the ones who are supposed to give the, the Kata. You are supposed just to channel them, to be an instrument. So externally it may seem I'm very humble. No, I don't want that high seat. I'm too fallen. So still you are thinking you are going to give the lecture. Still you are thinking in terms of being a protagonist. So still there is some ego there. So there is not enough Mangalachara. <laughs> so the idea is the Vyasa-asana. Again, Vyasa-asana. Vyasa means Vyasa, you know. So the seat, the one who is speaking is trying to be a representative of Vyasa, which kind of embodies the principle of Guru, Amparampara. So we are there as agents. So the seat is not for us. So we, you may sit, you may touch the seat, put it on your head, like implying, I mean, I'm nobody to enter here, but I'm entering in the spirit of service, in the same way that you may enter the altar and step on the altar to fix the altar, to, to decorate, to do something in the context of service. It's not that you think yourself the deity. You follow? So, humility may take different forms. One of them is you are in the altar, on, on, up, on the altar. <laughs> it's not that you think yourself, you are indulging in Ahangra, Hopasana, think yourself Krishna, Radha, or whoever. You are there because someone asked you to do seva. So you will be sitting in a very high seat, but it's not the you who are sitting there. You are just doing that in the concept of service, and then you go down from there. You go only there to serve. Mm -hmm. So also, again, as I mentioned, the speaker will receive, for example, a garland, which is a way of, mm -hmm. of expressing, again, gratitude to that person who will represent the parampara. We shouldn't take out oh, the garland is for me. Mm -hmm. The garland is for... Harikata, for Bhagavatam, for Guru Parampara. 
And if we are offering the garland, also some, again, practical considerations that sometimes are useful, relative, but important, try to take, sometimes I've seen the devotees doing garlands uh, from the day before and in order for the flowers not to be, like, destroyed, if you will, in time for the next day of the lecture, they put the garlands on the fridge. So at the next day, the lecture is about to start and they take the garlands out of the fridge and put the garland to the speaker. <laughs> that will be a little cold, no? especially if you live in the cold season. So so there are relative considerations. Sometimes I've seen flowers full of ants and the garland, therefore it's a whole ant parade that you have on your neck. So that's not the most becoming thing that may create some disturbance <laughs> while speaking Harikata. So we should be careful of those things. Sometimes, I don't know if you have this in the U.S., but in South America, sometimes they sell. That's not the ideal, but sometimes they, the devotees do not have their own flowers. They buy them for making the garlands, and some of those flowers are painted, like dyed. They dyed the flowers. So when you put the garland with dyed flowers, sometimes the color of the flower starts to disappear and enter into your clothes. So at the end of the lecture, you have a, a chatter, a blue chatter, green chatter, multicolored chatter, or whatever. So details that we should pay attention to regarding garland tatwa, if you will. Hmm? Some other sadhus, like for example, my Guru Marashi generally prefers not to wear garlands. I will say maybe in part for some of these reasons in the past, but also like it's not, again, the point is, if I know that the sadhu will feel more comfortable without those garlands, uh, we should also respect that. We should not also impose our taste hmm? and understand Okay, there's there's a reason for that. I respect that, no problem. Or sometimes Sadhu will receive the garland and they will immediately take that out, put them on their head and leave it on one side. Like accepting, okay, but do not remaining with that. Again, there's not better or worse way. There are reasons for each each of them to happen. So we should understand them and do not feel, oh, I made this garland and he just wear that for 10 seconds and take that out. It had its purpose. Mm -hmm. So what else regarding Harikata? Something important I will say in this connection is punctuality also. Punctuality. And many of the things as we will see nowadays, especially in COVID era, apply to online meetings. Not only to meetings that we are present live, but online meetings, especially this one, for example, punctuality. Uh, Nowadays, especially because we have people online connecting from so many places in the world that some places may be later or too early or they may have some other engagement. So punctuality has to do with respecting, like honoring the time of every person, their time and energy. For example, Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras, he explains punctuality as, as an aspect of ahimsa, basically, non-violence. In other words, to not be punctual is a form of violence. You are not, uh, basically when you are not punctual, when you are not on time for a meeting, you basically are saying to the other person, uh, my time is more important than your time. Once one devotee say that, I like that definition of uh, impunctuality. My time is, my my, is more important than your time, which is exact opposite of humility. I mean, if I'm humble, I will never think I'm more important than you. And I am more important, has so many ramifications. My time, my this, my that. So regarding punctuality, it's important to do the best of our efforts. Sometimes I've seen, I've heard even this, well, which time is the lecture at 6? But 6 p.m. or 6 devotee time? 
So I, I'm sorry, really, to hear that that it, our lack of punctuality came to such a point that there's a, another standard time. Like you have the EST, EDT, you have the Vaishnav time. <laughs> so sometimes the devotees will know, okay, the meeting is at 6, and everyone knows, ah, the meeting will start 6.30. It's Vaishnav time. <laughs> Even though that they announce that at 6, so everyone comes at 6.30. But the point is, as much as you are yourself, if you are organizing the meeting, you are not punctual, you are inviting the rest to do the same. So it's important that you start your meetings on time. So the ones who are late, they know for the next time, okay, it's, this is starting on time. So they will regulate themselves. Mm. But especially, again, as a way of, of showing proper regard for the time of the other person, respect for the energy and for the presence of the other person. I don't want to have someone waiting for me there for 25 minutes. Mm. So again, it's an, it's an aspect, important aspect of ahimsa, non-violence. Mm. What else? Well, this may be needless to say, but just in case. <laughs> Ideally, we should not use cell phone during the la during Harikata, during Prachar. Whether via Zoom, like we are doing now, I, maybe I cannot see you through the cameras, or be alive, or if you are present with your body present in one lecture, Ideally, you, you shouldn't have your cell phone there. You should turn that off for a minute. We are in the digital dynamics that sometimes we may think, what? Well, but maybe something may be happening, I need to have my phone just in case. But that's too much, according to me. You should rest for a while, at least for some hours a day from that. And if you want to take notes, better take a notebook, because sometimes I've heard that, no, Maharaj, I'm taking just notes in my cell phone. And that may be real, but sometimes that's a trick of your mind. Yeah, I will take some notes, but meanwhile, this new message here, this new message there, so that may be dangerous. So better you have a separate notebook. Take notes there if you want to take notes. Sometimes taking notes may be quite distracting also because you may be more concentrated about writing something that that listening to what's going on. Maybe you can hear the the lecture later and take notes again. That's another nice option to rehear the Harikata. Also sometimes during Harikata, some devotees are taking pictures, which is not a problem, but it can become a distraction if you are taking too many pictures and in, not, in a not very expert way, in the way of moving here and there and using flash. And sometimes the, some of the pictures, the photograph machinery is doing some quite big noise. So the point is, do not create a parallel event to the Harikata. That can happen, and that can be a distraction. And already we have, we may have some difficulty to become to be attentive. So, what to speak? If we add on top of that layers of distraction in the way of my cell phone, the picture, photograph machine, and this and that. So, we should try to hmm, uh, focus as much as we can and do the necessary arrangements in that connection. Also, something that we spoke recently, some words were exchanged there on social medias regarding children hmm, during Harikata, how to adjust that. That's an important point because it's an unavoidable uh, situation that requires criterion, that requires uh, common sense, of course, affection and consideration for everyone, not only for the one giving Harikata, but for the children themselves, <laughs> for the audience, for the one giving Harikata. Hmm. Um, so if, if if the main disturbance in a lecture comes from children, may come, they may be shouting and playing and running here and there, I would say actually that 
the children are not actually disturbing. They are not the ones disturbing. They are. They just want to express, as I mentioned some time ago, their childhood. I mean, they are children. I mean, you know, you can't expect them to be adults. <laughs> but adults should be adults, not children. So here, everyone should play their role. So the children want to express this childhood, and they need to have a proper place for that. It's it's, it's common sense. I've seen sometimes devotee parents trying to force their children into to listen to the class. To be adults, if you will, in a rush, rush into adulthood, so they can purify themselves and they can acquire bhakti samskar from the very first years of their life for whatever reason. <laughs> but actually, a child is not yet ready to maybe sit for an quiet for an hour or more. Even for adults, that's not easy. What to speak sometimes of children and really listen to the lecture. So we we don't have to be. Superficial in that sense, we have to apply common sense. You no, know, a child will want to play, will want to run, especially if there are some other children. Especially nowadays times, that if you make some meeting with human beings personally, <laughs> and some child get together, they will want to run, to play, to shout, to be children. But again, they need a suitable place for doing so. So in that connection, <clears throat> I generally agree. Of course, sometimes there may be exceptions to the rule. But the general idea will be that the ideal standard will be to have a separate area for the children to play. Of course, if they can remain quiet enough in the prachar area, drawing or something, of course, there's no problem. But if they need to really further express their childhood, they will need some separate area to play. And one of the parents, ideally, will should be there taking care of them or some elderly, whatever, someone who may just in case take care of whatever may happen. And may, they may take turns with other parents, of course, not the same part every single prachar during the different lectures. And nowadays, with online streaming, most of the meetings, they can follow the meeting online. There's not that in every sense of the term, they are losing the Hari Kata, the chance of that. They can connect on their phone and they can hear the Kata, but also they should be attentive to the children for sure. <laughs> so I personally think that this part of the commitment and responsibility of being a, a parent, a father, a mother, to be there also in those moments as well. I understand that the parents may want to take a break from that, for the parent couldn't just absorb harikata, but they are still parents. So this can be done taking turns, since those parents will like to be in the lecture and take a break again from their parenthood dynamics. So everything can be done by having proper uh, regard, concern, communication. Hmm. So, after speaking about children, now let's go to children adults, if you will. Adults who should be adults, but sometimes they may engage in certain childhood-like actions in the context of Harikata as well. And this is a whole important chapter. We already have been sharing some ideas, but now I want to focus on this today which is an important chapter of Vaishnava etiquette that should be an updated section nowadays. Hmm? Hari Bhakti Blas was written hundreds of years ago and, and, and it doesn't have a section, a chapter of Vaishnava etiquette on social media. So we should write that chapter, we should update that section nowadays. In the context of Harikata especially, that nowadays the main platform for Harikata will be Zoom, for example, or something like this. Actually, we are thinking to present some serious I was speaking with one good brother of mine about presenting a whole series of lectures about how to deal with social media in the context of of being sadakas. So that may be one of the series in some months in our Tatva Vivek series. 
coming soon to a theater near you. <coughs> so, <coughs> to begin with, regarding Vaishnava etiquette in social media, not only necessarily in the context limit, limited to the context of Prachar, but I think that if I choose to present myself as a Gaudiya Vaishnava in social media, with my Facebook account, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, with spiritual name and so on, I'm kind of representing my tradition to the world, to the public. So in that case, I should then share posts that represent my ideals and not otherwise, basically. I think hopefully that sounds commonsensical because sometimes I've seen the devotees getting too absorbed in discussing mundane topics uh, publicly on their social media accounts, not only with their non-devoted friends, if you will, but also in so-called sadhu sangha, hmm? or posting links about, I don't know, mundane movies or mundane music. And again, there may be some content that may be nourishing to our practice, that's one thing, but sometimes we really have to say that sometimes it's not the case. Hmm? Or sometimes the vote is publicly pub publishing extreme political statements or even sensual pictures while simultaneously presenting themselves again as a representative of a tradition that has nothing to do with all those things in one point. So at least make yourself an account with your secular name for, for all those stuff, if you will. Of course, ideally, try to regulate that gradually. I know that this is a a learning curve and it may take time but I think it's important that, that if we are presenting ourselves as re as practitioners of a certain path to understand that we have to walk the talk as we always say and social media is designed for distraction and, and stupidity basically so it lends itself in that direction so we should be very careful we are dealing with very subtle and powerful influences they're a big powerful embassy of Maya Shakti, <laughs> that of course we can connect in the context of Sarup Shakti, but I mean, again, we should be aware of our capacity of doing so. And in the context of these, of posting sometimes some nonsensical stuff, I will say, it's needless, needless to say, but I, I should say, please do not gossip in social media. Gossip is one of the worst things we can do for our devotional project. That's the main thing, very first thing, that Mahaprabhu told Raghunath Das Goswami when he has some advice. He said, Gramya Gramya Do not speak gossip, do not hear gossip. You may not be speaking, you may, may, may not be participating actively, but you may be a passive uh, character there. And social media lends itself a lot. You may be not writing anything, but you are reading, he said this to this, and he posted this, and this. And gossip, again, one thing is healthy postings. Some other thing is gossip. For example, the Cambridge Dictionary definition of gossip is conversation of or reports about other people's private lives that may be unkind, disapproving, or not true. And we live in the era of sometimes called post-truth, when basically there's no truth whatsoever. I mean, you just take whatever is posted here and there and you do not take the time for the proper research in order to prove is this true or not. So we tend to take things very quickly, rushing emotionally, 
someone is victimizing him, himself, herself, and everyone is supporting, oh, poor of you, and maybe the person is just lying or, or going into his, her own mind stuff and putting whatever thing is there. So it's very delicate. It's very delicate. Mm. And gossip. Why we was? Why do we was gossip? Mm. Of course, sometimes we may gossip because we are jealous from another person. But I will say that mainly we gossip because we feel bad about ourselves, or we feel inferior to another. Mm. So when you gossip, means you speak badly about someone, some other, which is technically Vaishnava Purad. So by putting another person down in our condition and state, we feel better. We feel better about ourselves. I'm happy when the other is suffering. I'm suffering when the other is happy. But you know, Thakur said, representing the conditioned mind. So gossip gives in this way a sense of superiority over another. Superficial way, of course. Gossiping is, is maybe the quickest and easiest way to do that. You know, very quickly, you can create that impression. Of course, it's much more difficult to try to improve yourself. So it's easier, I put someone down but through gossip... And I feel myself superior instead of changing, transforming my own heart. Making a change within our own heart may take a lot of time, take a lot of hard work, which is the idea. <laughs> and the result may be delayed, may not be guaranteed. <laughs> so we feel, oh, there is no specific time span uh, after which we can expect to have improved. So gossiping is much easier. And the result is immediate. So let's go, let's take that option. And in the context of spiritual life, we could say that gossiping is a form of breaking the regulative principles, I will say. It's a form of intoxication. It's a parallel to drinking alcohol or taking some drugs in the material world. Why do you take drugs in the material world? To make yourself feel better, basically. To do not feel so bad about yourself. So there is really no difference. The, the basic principle is the same. Again, in, in, the, in this world, in the material existence... When a person feels him herself um, depressed, hmm, rejected, insecure, lonely, whatever, isolated, ugly, misunderstood, <laughs> insignificant, stupid, excluded, <laughs> that person will try to hmm, to stop, to numb out those feelings as quickly as possible, you know, in an instinctive way. So drugs will be there for that. Alcohol will do the trick, if you will. But for those who do not use drugs or alcohol, as we do do not in our tradition, but we may feeling though we may be feeling those things still, so we will have some other way, some other quick fix. Even even without speaking about Gaudiya Vaishnava, let's say someone who is not a Gaudiya Vaishnava and who is not taking drugs, what that person will do? There will be some other option like sex, food, extreme doses of chocolate and caffeine, or Overworking, gambling, all this stuff that, or or or, or codependence, becoming addicted to another person, go ways of coping with that emptiness. But devotees are not doing any of those things. Basically, they are not taking drugs, nor alcohol, nor gambling, and they are living regulated lives. At least that's the ideal. So the point is, what will a sadaka again, not maybe a very advanced devotee, but a sadaka on some level will do to to try to to stop, to numb those painful feelings that follow like a shadow, if you will. So the answer will be gossip. Gossip is a form of addiction uh, that really is quite popular in spiritual societies. You can see that it's really unbecoming. And it's it's unbecoming also that 
we do not take a vow not to gossip in our tradition. That will be included when we say, I don't know, to be truthful, that implies basically not to gossip. To not take intoxication, that implies not to gossip. When we say to not uh, to be vegetarian or vegan means to be compassionate, that means not to gossip, to control out my sexual impulse. It has to do with purity, that means not to gossip. Not to take intoxicants means austerity, that means not to gossip. All those four regulatory principles point to this idea of not to gossip, even though externally, officially, we are not saying that. We are asking sometimes disciples, do not prom promise this, this, this. So gossip is like a, a feel-good drug, basically, and easily available. You just It's one click and you are thrown in that world, in that constellation. All you have to do is to find another person willing to partake, and you are ready to go. Some, some year in social media, you have thousands of years that are just waiting for someone to post something in that connection and, quote-unquote, nourish themselves, malnourish themselves. So social media is just designed for that, for gossip. Mm -hmm. So this is really connected to our concept of prachar, because prachar includes achar, and gossip is exactly the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. let's try to take care of that. Mm -hmm. Of course, if we do that properly, at one point we will be thrown in, in, in our ultimate realm of brach, where there will be another type of gramya katao, village talk, mm -hmm. when all the brachabasis will be speaking about... Uh, Krishna, or maybe even criticizing Krishna, there will be another type of gossip in Braj, in the Lila, but that's another thing, the Prakrita realm. But the main point here, so let's, I was just mentioning about gossip with your permission, but my main point here is Vaishnav etiquette in the context of Prachar, which of course gossip, not to gossip, is a big part of that. So let's continue with some practical tips regarding how to behave ourselves in the context of Prachar, and in the context of social media prachar. One of the main examples is the one we are experiencing now, Zoom. So some Vaishnava etiquette on Zoom meetings. As host of the meeting, as, as the host of the meeting or the, as the participants of the meetings. Because nowadays, again, Zoom, Facebook streaming, all this may be the main preaching areas. So, again, some of them may seem commonsensical, but let me mention them. If you are taking part in a Zoom meeting, please try to turn on your camera only if you will be really there here in the lecture at every moment and not if you will be starting doing some other things because that creates distraction during the, the lecture, the kata. Sometimes I've seen devotees, they turn on the cameras and they start to eat lunch or breakfast and they are cleaning their house and they are moving here and there and they are driving a car but they are moving the cell phone in one way or another, and, and it seems like you are in a roller coaster if you are seeing that camera. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, if you are doing something apart from just being there or hearing the lecture, you can turn off the camera, because it may create some unnecessary distraction. Mm -hmm. Of course, again, be attentive to turn off your microphone during lecture, because sometimes I've seen that that doesn't happen, and that may be an extra disturbance. Try to not be so excessive with too many greetings via chat. Sometimes there may be like an unending list of Aribol, Dandabat, hello, great, thank you. And sometimes in the midst of that, there were some questions on important points that if you need to find them, you have to go through 108, hello, thank you so much. <laughs> and it may be a little, little difficult. 
Or sometimes what I've seen that it sometimes creates some distraction uh, when you are doing a Zoom lecture and you're streaming via Facebook, in the Facebook chat, sometimes devotees like to put emojis, like illustrate the points being said in the lecture. So if I am speaking now about, so Mahaprabhu gave us a shower of mercy, someone will put an emoji of some rain falling on that. And after five minutes, we have to offer the flower of our hearts to the Lord and someone will post an emoji of flowers. And at the end of the lecture, you have like, again, 108 emojis. And you realize maybe the person was a little bit more more concentrated in that direction than really absorbing the sacredness of the moment. What else? <laughs> Something else that I think, again, all the things are trying to create a sacred atmosphere so we can really appreciate what's Harikata. Also, ideally, if we are, for example, waiting for a lecture, as we do on Sundays when, when my Guru Maharaj is giving his lectures and some devotees are con- con- connecting some minutes ago, we should try to create a sacred atmosphere, try to not speak about mm, too, many, too relative issues that may really create another atmosphere before Sri Guru comes, basically. Because, again, at least for me, to connect to my Guru's lecture five minutes back. It's like entering into the temple room, sitting there and waiting for him to appear. For me, there's no difference, even though I'm connected in Zoom. It's not that I can do whatever I like because I'm not actually there. No, I'm there. I, I want to invoke that idea. I'm in the temple. I have. I, when I don't click and enter into Zoom, it means I, I've entered the temple room. So my Guru has didn't come. I will wait for him in the proper mood. It's not that we will be speaking nonsense and, oh, Gurudev is coming. Let's stop speaking that. No, ideally, we should align ourselves with the sacredness of the moment. So, so to prepare ourselves for what's coming, for the Karikata. Also, I think that it will be nice, it's a good point, that to try to avoid two parallel dialogues in chat, for example, via Zoom. Of course, sometimes Sri Guru may, or some sadhu may be giving a harikata and, and wanting to, speaking about one verse, and someone may quote the verse. It's okay, not to give the full reference or give some linking connection to the topic or make some follow-up concept. But the danger with that, it's nice, but there is a danger to that is that that may like create a whole parallel conversation with, which may last for minutes. Meanwhile, the other conversation is still going on. So that can be also quite distracting because for you to engage in a parallel conversation you are not hearing the other one for sure so that happens sometimes that happened yesterday one of my uh, Guru Maharaj's lecture it was interesting because he was speaking and something started the conversation started and again there is a good intention and trying to develop a point and, and there should be place for that but maybe that's not the moment and and interestingly when that happened I tried to share some brief message that be careful about not overextending into parallel chat that may distract us from the main discourse. And immediately after that, my Guru Maharaj said, without no, knowing what's going, going on in the chat, he narrated one lila where Srila Prabhupada was hearing Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta in a lecture, and someone was trying to speak with Prabhupada. And Prabhupada didn't want to hear, he wanted to hear the lecture, but can he move like to the person? And, and Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta chastised Prabhupada publicly, like implying, I'm here doing my effort to be given harikata and you are sitting there hearing someone else so I felt that okay that was and, and that confirmation to this important point that we should really be there with our full self hearing attentively the, the whole point of these ideas is 
try in brief, try to act as if your guru is present there, as if the sadhu is there, because they are there. Try to, to, to put yourself in that situation like we do like we do with the deity, as we mentioned. Act as if the deity is there, as if Krishna is there in the deity, because it's there, even though we may not be fully aware. Try to act as if the Zoom platform is the temple itself, because they are. It, it is. It, it's it's all about what we created that in our own consciousness. So something regarding the the Zoom uh, participants and as a Zoom host, I will say, which because some of them also sometimes are hosting meetings, apart from some of the things we already have said. Uh, I would say that it's important for someone who has the service of being a Zoom host in a Zoom lecture, of course, to begin with, as I mentioned, is to create the proper atmosphere because it will depend a lot on the host. According to a host, the mood of the host, the rest will behave accordingly. And with this, I don't mean to be extremely serious and you want to smile at all. That's not the idea. But one should perform the service with certain degree, I will say, of formality. Again, with this I'm not saying that the person should become uh, someone else, less of what he or she is, or suddenly go to extreme of being too grave, too serious, or hard-hearted, or even rude, what to speak. But yes, I consider it's important to preface such type of meetings with a little sobriety, if you will. It will be good for one and for the audience. Hmm? And also I think that the host, generally, typically hosts in any meeting, is an impartial figure, if you will. And that's helpful, properly. Of course, we may speak about spiritual partiality and so on. But on one level, there should be some impartiality. What do I mean by this in practical terms? For example, there is a, a Zoom host and the devotees are connecting to the meeting. And if the Zoom host, some, I don't know, some friend of the host is connecting and you express your friendship to that person and start to greet that person very affectionately, and then some other else connects that you don't know and you basically do not greet that person, I, I don't think that's very very proper for the role of the host. So a host should be impartial in that way. Other way of saying impartial will say be partial to everyone <laughs> or be equally affectionate to everyone because sometimes some people may feel bad because of that. Someone is especially being greeted but some others are not even mentioned. So there's a, there's a role, there's an art of course. So... So that happens, no? And as I mentioned, sometimes, and I won't give names, that's not the, the idea of pointing to anyone or saying someone is wrong or bad, in, bad in, ill-intended or something like that. But sometimes it seems, sometimes before my Guru Maharaj is giving some lectures, some devotees, or sometimes the host may speak in about topics that I personally, as I mentioned, do not consider them proper for prefacing the harikata of one's Guru. And again, I, I don't mind if people have fun for a moment, especially nowadays that in COVID time, nobody almost is able to meet anyone. So suddenly you have a meeting and you want to, <laughs> to speak with people and to greet people and to express your affection. So it's great. But also there should be a place for all these moments so they can really express, play themselves out properly. So I don't mind that people have fun, have a nice time, but or speak about more personal things or relative things. But I don't think that the the previous minutes before one's guru's lecture, for example, is the exact moment for doing so. And it's a fine line, for sure. <laughs> but the art of hosting implies to always have in mind and the whole of the audience, not only what I feel, what I want, who connected is my friend, but not getting too absorbed in personal interactions while losing sight 
of the rest of the ones that are present there. So as I mentioned, for me, and I want to, sorry if I, I, I repeat myself a little bit, but something that helps me a lot is like if I'm, I'm, to be, I'm waiting for my Guru Maharaj uh, to come in the temple room, I will be waiting for him in a certain mood, in a temple mood, if you will. Of course, with this I do not mean something too reverential either. So for me, entering into these Zoom meetings is basically not different from entering into the temple sitting at the feet of my Guru Dev. So I think it's good for 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 all of us, the ones who have serve as hosts, because it's a seva to Sri Guru, basically, for those who are there as hearers, as participants. But in this case, the host that may help the rest of the, the audience to create that teachable moment. Because again, like it or not, the general mood of these meetings will depend a lot on how the host behaves and the rest will mostly follow or will remain silent but not, not feeling too comfortable to participate so in summary i think it's it's healthy for the audience especially if that includes newcomers what to speak who may quickly idealize something according to what they perceive in the immediacy no so i think it's healthy for the whole audience to find a preliminary section that may be as similar hmm, as to what they will receive some minutes later when the sadhu comes and starts sharing hmm, harikata and again, I know uh, nowadays it may be difficult to, to only do that, to just hear the lecture, to just be in the sacred vibe um, mood. <laughs> and, and most of us need to be doing something else simultaneously. We, are, we have multitasking DNA. We are part of that era. Our mind is, has been trained without even noticing that, to, to, to that in that direction, multi engagement but again we need to also honor our attention we need to respect our attention as well as the others as we are mentioning since our attention is will be the, the only thing that we will be offering to Hari Guru Abhishnav our focus our absorption that will be our ultimate offering to Hari Guru Abhishnav so some words I want to share in connection to Prachar again not only in the context of giving a lecture typical lecture but considering nowadays dynamics in social media and whatnot mm -hmm. so today i will finish here with the topic on prachar next lecture we will continue with a similar term prasad which is a great one but let's give some minutes for <clears throat> for questions whatever you may like to share so i will activate the option for you to Unmute yourself just in case. There it is. So, so I have a question, Maharaj. Yes. Yes. Try, try to yes. turn yes. down your volume because if not, I'm hearing myself here. Okay. If possible. Thank Can you hear me now? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, I wanted to know... Um, what if someone's writing a book like this was in your reference to Mangala Charana? Like, said, what if devotees are writing stories about other devotees or lessons or instructions on something relevant, maybe to their material life, that would help them be more Krishna conscious? Would they write a Mangala Charana as well? Mm. Well, as I mentioned. 
uh, when we speak about Mangala Charan in the context of a book, I mentioned that this was something done in, in classical Gaudiya Shastra, no? in a certain time and culture, where there was a certain way of presenting the message and topic when writing a book, and that was really like one of the elements there, as we will see in the Sandarvas and in everywhere. In the Bhagavatam, we have the the different elements of the Mangala Charana. I didn't go into detail there today. Bastu Nirdesh, Namaskar Shloka, Ashurbat. But I will say that not necessarily every single book written by a devotee has to include the Mangala Charana in such a, a specific way. But in some form or another, it should include that. Somehow or other. It shouldn't, sometimes, nowadays, it may take the form of a dedication. You also see that in the books. There is a dedication. And dedication generally implies in the context of Gaudiya Vedanta some indebtedness to one's guru, basically. Or sometimes it may be written in some part of the introduction of the book, some acknowledgement section of the book. Also, there's another part of the book. So, nowadays... Uh, contemporary books may have taken that form. You have the introduction, the acknowledgement section, the dedication. Sometimes in the old times there was there were no such sections. There were not acknowledgements. Or, so the, all of them were included in the book in, in what we know today as Mangala Charan. We will see, I don't know, Jiva Goswami expressing his indebtedness to Gopal Bhatta Goswami at the beginning of the Sandarvas for sharing the main notes on which he wrote the Sandarvas and, and so on. So again, do not, you don't necessarily have to include that. I don't know, if you are writing a book for general public, uh, you may, if you write a very classical Mangala Charan, that may seem a little bit awkward for the audience you are pointing. But I will say that nonetheless, there should be some form of Mangala Charan, even if it's not written in the book. That should be written in your heart, if you will. You should be really invoking the blessings of your guru and, 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 and offering pranam to them while writing the book. You should be doing that service from that vantage point, even though if the reader is not aware of that, you follow. Because an, inter an introductory reader may not even know about Mangala Charan and transpersonal authorship and so on. But you know that, so you will engage in that some way or another. It may, it may be in the book explicitly, overtly, or it may be implicitly, in, in an un underlying way. And those who know will feel that and will find that there. So, again, there is certain flexibility to that. It's not like a fixed rule that this should be take this particular form or that, and so on. I, I sometimes give even lectures going to the Mangala in the context of giving Harikata, and in certain situations, I don't know, let's say I invited to speak to a radio program. And it may be sound awkward if I say, okay, before I start to speak, I will recite my Mangala Charan and I will be like three minutes invoking my all my mantras in radio program, in TV program or whatever. <laughs> so I, I may not do that externally, but internally I will be doing that because, again, I need that. I need that connection. I need that focus. So... We have to find a way to somehow or other do that. That's the idea. It may take different forms. Visible, invisible, but Mangal Charan should be there somehow or other. Okay, so any other question? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.
Uh, oh, like three at the same time activated their microphone. So now the three of them turn off their microphone. <laughs> so, Gurunista was there, I think. You can you can unmute Hello, yourself, much. Jai. For now. Um, I was very much appreciating your uh, part about the punctuality. Uh, like as a Finn, of course, like Finns are very kind of extreme about that, and I really very much like that myself. Although I can be pretty sloppy myself, but anyway, it's just. But then the other side is, of course, it, <laughs> last Sunday, Gurmash was like ten minutes late, and then when he came, he was still eating. <laughs> and I thought that was just so hilarious. Like, you know, there's the prachar, you're supposed to follow certain rules, but then at some point, it just, you kind of let it go. And uh, he's like late so many times. And <laughs> for years, you know, we've gone to like yoga studios and different programs. And Rindran and I are always like, okay, Gurmash, let's go, let's go. And he's like, hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> and it's like really aggravating as a servant, but like, what can you do, you know? And uh, anyway, I just wanted to share that kind of funny thing, how uh, Gurmash is definitely not punctual most of the time. But anyway, that's my little, little uh, <laughs> offering there. <laughs> yeah, I'm aware of that, Gurmash. I'm sure that you have gone through that much more than me, but I have had some glimpse of that in my own uh, travelings with Gurmash or some meetings here and there in South America. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, sure. I, I, and, and, and yes, when I was saying that, I was saying, okay, so here we are speaking about the Acharya and he should be given the example. <laughs> but I know that he's not doing that purposely and, 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 and when we speak about superlative Vaishnavas, I will take really another another stance because the, the, the lack of punctuality is because of a transcendental reason, I will say, because of certain particular absorption in this and that is not something that they are really not uh, concerning not regarding one's time and energy because they are really dedicating their lives as, as gurus to the service of their disciples. So I will say that we as servants should really like just do not become overtly uh, affected by that ourselves. Of course, sometimes we may be affected because we want him to be punctual in, in his service. No, we want, I don't know, he has a meeting, as you mentioned, some appointment. Uh, we want him to be punctual so everything goes on nicely in the service of him. It's not something that has to do with us per se. But sometimes we may be affected ourselves independently of his service. That's not the idea, but some, that may happen. So we should work on that as, as servants. But yes, I, I I appreciate the point. And of course, that doesn't mean that we should try not to to make him be as punctual as we can. <laughs> he may be trying to be as punctual as he can, but we can... Uh, uh, make something else on that, put some extra. I remember calling you sometimes to some meetings that Guru Mash himself even forgot altogether that the meeting was there. <laughs> so that was not even punctuality, but was just like, where's Guru Mahesh? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and he, and he, and he forgot basically. No, and, and I didn't feel that, oh, that's his mistake. He's not as transcendental as I thought he should. Why he's not cons considering me. I organized this meeting. I mean, he's absorbed in, in, in Seva and his own inner bhajan and, and, and he forgot because of that reason. But the point is, we are not to imitate him. We are not, our forgetfulness may be due to some other type of reason. So, yeah, my words were not directed to the superlative Vaishnav who may externally show some kind of defect because of some really good virtue on top of that. But thank you very much, Guru Nishka.
for the contribution. Yeah, I wanted to add, add one more quick thing. That, yeah. Um, um, I should now. I forgot my point. <laughs> um, what was it? Hold on. Okay, I'll. I'll put okay, it later. we have some right. point, points there. You you come back whenever you have the point. Yeah. Thank so, you. there is one uh, message that was sent first by Bhubaneshwari Dasi. She's uh, asking one point regarding social media and personal profiles. That sometimes, in certain occasions, some devotees will use uh, pictures of Radha, Krishna, Bhagavan, different forms of the Divine, as profile pictures and not so much a personal picture. So maybe it's a detail, but I would like to know if this is correct or it's better to avoid that. Because, uh, because I myself maybe have done that or some others in the past and, and just in case it's not correct to be more aware of that in the future. I, will, I wouldn't say that this is uh, incorrect or something like that. Again, it has to do with what's the mood behind that, what's the consciousness behind that. It's not that... I mean, if I put a picture of Krishna in my profile picture, it's not that I think myself Krishna. Uh, so why did I put that? Okay, there may be some good reasons for that. So again, I, I don't think that it's... It's, of course, everything in social media may be misinterpreted and that's why, for example, if you go to India, in many temples they won't allow you to take pictures uh, to the, of the deities, for example. And one may say, well, the, <laughs> there may be a relative superficial reason for that and the reason is that they have the picture shop outside the temple. They will want to sell you the picture. <laughs> but in a deeper way, and I've met sadhus who think like that, they think, I don't want people to take picture because I don't know how, the, I don't know the ones taking the picture and I don't know how they will ha deal with the picture eventually. The picture is, an, is not different from the deity, so if they do not deal with the picture properly, they may engage in apparat. So I don't want them to engage in apparat. And that's why I, I do not forbid, I forbid that. And I prefer they take darshan and they take the picture in their hearts, basically. And they carry the, the picture in their hearts. So, again, there are different considerations behind that that has to do with this idea. How do you deal with sacred uh, images? But in general, I wouldn't say that it's incorrect to have a picture of Bhagavan in, in, in your social media. I mean, if, if you properly are honoring that and dealing, dealing with that, Personally, I wouldn't have a problem. So, uh, I think, I don't know if Gurunista remember his point. Also, I think that Maros has one question, so whoever would like to, to connect. Hare Krishna, Yes, Maros, uh, tell me. My question is a little bit off topic, maybe, but... Let's see. I, I got the recommendation this book... Uh, Krishna Bhajana Amrita mm -hmm. by Narahari Sarkar. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't understand it at all. <laughs> it's, it's very complicated. But there is one point that, uh, that if someone is able to re recognize spiritual strength of Vaishnava but do don't act accordingly, it is considered as offense. So if you could elaborate on this, maybe. I, I didn't hear the last part. If you recognize spiritual strength in a Vaishnav and you don't act accordingly, it's an offense? Yeah, like if you don't give proper respect to some more advanced devotee or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, basically, th that's one of the six uh, 
forms of Vaishnava Aparat, which has to do with not showing proper regard for the Vaishnava. There are six main offenses to the Vaishnava. We have already spoken about that in some of the lectures concerning Vaishnava Siva. No, like killing a Vaishnava, speaking ill of a Vaishnava, thinking wrongly as a Vaishnava, not receive properly a Vaishnava, not properly consider the Vaishnava, do not be happy when you see a Vaishnava even. Of course there are levels of Vaishnavas and there will be le different levels of uh, reciprocation and acknowledging their status, if you will, if, if you have the capacity of recognizing that, because even in the beginning one may not be aware of the different that there are different Adhikars, Adhikaris, hmm? Vaishnavas possessing different Adhikar. But the main idea will be like, yeah, if you have a Vaishnav with certain level of insight, uh, ideally you should be willing to properly honor that, basically. That, that's the idea, I mean, to reciprocate accordingly, to serve the Vaishnav according to his, her Adhikar. That's what Rupa Goswami also mentions, that was the Bhagavatam mentioned. You should deal in a certain way with uh, beginners Vaishnav, hmm? with intermediate Vaishnav, with higher superlative Vaishnav. There are different ways of dealing with non Vaishnavs, hmm? innocent people, envious people, but all those dealings will be only in terms of serving them. And so if I am compassionate to our a junior person, it's not that I think I'm better than you and you have to learn from me. I'm just serving you and the service takes the form that is necessary according to the particular relationship, but the same way that you serve your, I don't know, your father in one way, your son in another way, your wife in another way, but ideally all of those things should be done in the context of serving others, but the service will take different forms. So according to Vaishnavs, they are to be served by us, they are the object of our worship and veneration, even more than Krishna, Krishna himself says that, mm -hmm. Tadiyanam samarchanam, tasmat parataram devi, tadiyanam samarchanam, aradhananam sarvisham, vishnodaradhanam punam. The topmost form of worship is the worship of Bhagavan, but above that is the worship of those who are dear to him. So, in time, we should develop the capacity again of, of, of discriminating amongst the Vaishnavs in the healthy way about the different adhikars and how to, what was the best way to serve them, to please them. And if we are not really uh, concerned about that in time, knowing that that's important in our relationship, that's, there comes the risk of engaging in some form of apparat, because you may be relating to a very superlative Vaishnav, and you are treating that him like he, if he's a junior or whatever, you know, many forms that may take. Or the opposite, you may say, you are treating a junior Vaishnav as a superlative in a way that is not healthy for that junior Vaishnav. You may be disturbing him or her by doing that. <laughs> Again, in the beginning, you, you one oneself may be mature and don't know how to do that, and no problem, there's no offense, you should not go neurotic. But in time, when we grow and mature, that criterion should will become a, necessary, a necessity in our interactions. Mm -hmm. Like when you are a baby, you relate with everyone equally. I mean, you are not making too many differences between your father, your mother, the neighbor, or whoever, you, you, you behave equally. But when you grow, you start to, <clears throat> to make differences. Your mother, my brother, my neighbor, my father, this person I do not know. And you try to reciprocate accordingly. So that should also play itself out in the context of the Vaishnavas. Always in the context of Seva. So in other words, the offense will be, I'm not willing to serve the Vaishnav. Because 
basically to, to consider how can I serve the Vaishnava better, that's the point here. If I'm not willing to go through that, it means I'm not willing to serve the Vaishnava. And basically that's an offense because if I insist on relating to the Vaishnava, but I'm not willing to do the necessary to serve the Vaishnava, so I'm not serving the Vaishnava, what do I want the Vaishnava for in my life? I mean, I'm, I'm not serving the Vaishnava, so why I keep relating to the Vaishnava? Maybe I want him to serve me, I want to exploit her, I want, so in that concept we conclude, that will be a Purat. So that will be like the gist of this statement by Narahari in his Krishna Bhajanamrita. Gurunista, do you have your point? Tamaraj, yes, and now I remembered it. Okay. So it was that, that those moments when Gurumach is like super late and we have some big uh, like public engagement, what I started realizing was that I was like getting aggravated because I was thinking about the people on this like social level instead of thinking about serving Gurumach at the moment. And so that it was a kind of a good like lesson in that way. Like obviously he didn't do it on purpose or anything, but that's what I took out of the situation. That like I was focused kind of on the wrong thing sometimes, mm. too concerned about the social implications mm. instead of just serving him and like whatever he wants to accomplish mm. by mm. having those meetings. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that I mean it's not totally wrong to have that consideration because again you are having that consideration in his service. I, ideally, that's the idea. So it's not that I, I'm only absorbed. He wants to be one hour late. Okay, I will please my guru fully and I will obey. No, if he's being late and we know that lateness will affect the particular seva that he himself wants to render through his writing, let's say, I will insist to him on going. But of course, as you mentioned, it has to be balanced. And it's not that I'm exclusively concerned about the public and what will they think, how they may think. No, you, you, you have to balance that with, okay, but here's my guru his delay because of this particular reason I honor that reason if you will I honor that delay <laughs> but at the same time I honor if you will the, the the seva that he wants to render to the other the other people that I want to render to them and to him so of course sometimes in practice this may not be so easy and you are trying to to inspire him to be a little more quick <laughs> to get ready whatever without being too much invasive but also trying to consider that because we know the, the, the other persons will, won't be able to to really understand all the transcendental background to, for the delay. So you want also to to consider that it's part of, of being compassionate to the to the non-informed, if you will. So yeah, it has to be balanced. Both things have to be there. But sometimes in the context of serving him, as, as our Guru Maharaj has said on many occasions, sometimes the Guru, at one point the, the disciple may even disobey his guru in the context of serving him. That's not easy to understand, but there, that can happen. The guru may say, I, I want to do this. And the disciple will say, no, you are, you are too old, Guru Mahesh is too, quick, is too too late, you cannot do that. You have to take rest, you have to do that. And externally it seems, oh, he's not obeying Sri Guru, but he's doing that from a very intimate relationship of Seva, which again, is not for everyone. We cannot imitate that. So the the, the point is, the, the, the important point is to retain the service attitude according to our personal situation, present connection to the Guru, and that may take different forms. That may take the form of you asking Guru Maharaj, please, Guru Maharaj, we are late, come on. But all that will be in your service, not because you are going neurotic about what the world is thinking. But it can be from the wrong reasons as well. So everything is a, mass, a matter of, yeah, of one's own consciousness behind the action, if you will. But 
thanks for the contribution for sure yeah exactly yeah. that's that that's how i felt about it too that it really does come down to the motivation and that's what i was sometimes back in the day i was like picking that up kind of afterwards in my own behavior like was it really motivated by me wanting to serve guru march or was it that i had other considerations that i i had couched as service you know mm-hmm. so it's like easy to sometimes feel like okay you're serving a guru but you're actually motivated by something else mm-hmm. yeah and yeah either and like you said it can definitely go either way either you follow the rules and that's your service to the guru or you break the rules and that's your service to guru mm-hmm. so it's all about motivation i guess yeah and thank I, you and i don't think that in, in this particular example guru Maharaj was like I work, in a conscious way, I will delay myself and I will put Guru Nista to test. But I, but one as a disciple should say, okay, but Krishna through my Guru Dev is creating this situation and I'm being put to test to to become more introspective about, as you mentioned, which are my motivations in in, in making him be ready quicker for the meeting or not, whatever the case, whatever the situation. I'm being put to test by this particular dynamics with my Guru's instrumental and and. And, and a further surrender is being asked for me, a further introspection. So that's, I mean, if the disciple takes that healthiest stance, he, she passed the test for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's a nice way, nice way of looking at it. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing the point. So, well, Thank you. Thank you. there's something else? Okay. I have another okay. question. Um, you mentioned about children and making noise. And when Prabhupada was here it was just known because he would say please take the children out and but Guru Maharaj never says anything and a lot of devotees are pretty sensitive now and and they feel hurt when you say anything so I never want to say anything because they take it as like you don't like their children or you don't like them and 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 so I never it's really hard to I feel bad for Guru Maharaj, and I don't know really how to deal with it. <laughs> Sometimes I'll take the kids out, but then I don't like to miss the class either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I will say to begin with, I, I get your point, and this is not a new thing. I mean, this is not happening only in one particular Sangha. That's like all-pervading. Um, to begin with, if you have children, you you chose to have children. No, I mean, it's not the fault of the of the other ones I mean if you have children you chose to have children so you have to take responsibility for that I remember once I I gave one lecture and I was speaking at the end the person told me oh you you are saying all the things about spiritual practice and spending your time in that but you can do that and speak about that and do that because you have time for that but me the person was saying I started to shout almost I have eight children and I don't have time for anything. I have to be working all day and doing all day. Uh, and like this, and he was like like volcano eruption. <laughs> so the only answer that came to me was like, but you chose to have eight children. I mean, and I didn't. And you have to, to, to be responsible for your choices. That's I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just you make the choice. Now you take the, <laughs> the proper stance. Uh, and you have some responsibility. I don't have children. It doesn't mean I don't have any responsibility. In another sense, I have non non biological children and people who are somehow or other <laughs> are depending on me. That there are much more of the ty- the children of that I could conceive 
biologically. So if I only became a sannyasi to avoid having children, I did I did mistake because I'm having more. <laughs> so the point is, all of us have to be responsible. So if you have children, that's no problem with that. And that's something that can help you to grow so much. And that may be a very beautiful experience. And I'm sure all of you parents know. Uh, but also, again, you have to be responsible for that. So, and, and as you mentioned, Guru Maharaj never says that. And as Sakirati mentioned, I was going to mention that he said that on some cases. Of course, on some baby, baby extreme cases where the children were quite noisy. And again, it's not their fault. I mean, the, the fault here is in the parents with all respect, not in the children. The children are children. And, and I think it's common sense. I mean, if in, in any public event, if you are going to a, a public event, a lecture or something, you won't bring your two, three-year-old children to shout and play and run here and there. That's not the place for them. It's a torture for them. You are not being loving with your children. It's not that if I, the speaker, say, Please, can someone take care of the children in some place so they may play and enjoy happily in the proper place? I'm not against your children. Actually, the parents are against their children if they are not making the arrangement to do that because the children need that. I mean, and, and, and that's how it plays out through the filter of the ego, actually. The ego will say, you are not loving to my children where actually the one who is not loving is yourself if you are not taking proper care of your children. <laughs> so... I mean, if you are extra sensitive, I'm not, not you, Mahara, for sure, but whoever in the, in the example you are giving, that if someone says, please, can you take the children somewhere else? It's not that the children are a disturbance. I mean, ideally, the speaker shouldn't even have to tell that. The arrangements should be done in such a way that the speaker is not put into the, into the situation of having to organize the parenthood of all the children present there. The person is giving harikata. That sh that's the main Point there, so the parents should be sensitive enough hmm, to 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 do that before, to do that arrangement organization before, as as part of their parenthood, as part of increasing their responsibilities, fathers, and they may take turns for hearing the harikata. And again, you can hear the harikata online. I mean, there's not that. And if you don't want any of those things, you can remain as a brahmachari, no problem. <laughs> you can accept sannyas, no problem. Hmm. So, but somehow or other, we should really be considerate. Because if not, it's too egocentric. I'm only concerned. I want to be in the class. I don't care for my, my children. Let them be free, whatever. And if someone says something to them, I take, take offense. You do not love my children. And all of that is going on in the platform of false ego, with all respect. On the platform of exploitation, basically. Now, I want to enjoy. I don't want to take responsibility. And I don't want to... To make the necessary sacrifice for everything to go on smoothly for everyone, not only thinking about me. That's the point. The problem is when you only think about yourself and not, do not care about even your children, who may be much better, more comfortable and happy in another place where they are shouting and rolling on the ground and frolicking and they can do that as much as they like and nobody's like looking at them and saying, shh, mm. I mean, they should have their place for sure. And, and, and I think that's, you are not rejecting them, actually you are. I mean, on another moment, all of us, even the speaker, may go and play with the children, but not during the Harikata. <laughs> harikata is a particular moment for a particular presentation of Siddhanta, if you will. And, and another moment, we can frolic with the, kill, with the kids all together. But again, I, I think that being a parent, part of being a parent means not to be oversensitive regarding those issues, 
and not to put the fault and the blame on the environment, but take responsibility. Of course, the speaker, again, should be sensitive enough, also should be loving enough to say that, but we shouldn't say, oh, no, no, Guru Maharaj is never saying that in class, so we can remain with the children shouting. It's not a problem for him. Even if that's the case, we should also think about the rest of the audience. Mm-hmm. So, again, we shouldn't force the speaker or someone else to come and tell us, please, can you do that? Those things should be also already common sense for all of us. And if modern parents, or however you may like to call them, some of them, I'm not saying all, may not have this awareness, okay, so elder parents should be take the responsibility to educate them, ideally. And I know it's not an easy thing, and I know there may be situations where there still will be some problems. We are not in Golok Vrindavan. So always some things will happen, and that's part of the experiences in this prakat lila, if you will. So, I mean, it's not that I'm giving a magical reply and everything will work from now on. Maybe now I have more enemies than ever by doing this, by saying this. But I, I hope not, because I'm trying really to be honest and sincere and hopefully pre- pre- present some common sense to to how to deal with those situations. So... Yeah, it takes sacrifice, but in sacrifices, our Gumara says, is the womb uh, through which love will be born. So, I hope that helps, Prana, uh, Mahara, and everyone who may have to deal with, with that situation. I am one of the main ones, so <laughs> thank you for your consideration. So, I think we can finish here today. We have already spoken quite a bit, so see you next Thursday. We will continue, as I mentioned, with our lecture on on Prasad, entering into the final section of our two two last meetings of our Vaishnava etiquette series in March. Srila Gurudev Ki Jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Praman Hari